man. I, I tell you, I, I, I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. And uh, a few weeks ago, walking around the lake in our subdivision, I occasionally, early in the morning, I'll take my dog to the tennis courts and throw a Frisbee, and she gets to run free. And uh, I was listening to the song and, and uh, probably loudly worship. You notice I'm hiding from that, that, that uh, audio recorder there, man, because I'm so loud and it's awful. Um, but anyhow, I apologize, y'all. Um, Lord, bless their hearing me that they may not hear how bad I sang. Um, but as we were nearing the tennis courts, that song was playing on the headphones. And, and uh, right when I got to the gate, I mean, story is flipping. She goes, man, because when I get in that tennis courts, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to get there. And right there, I heard, when I see that cross, I see freedom. And, and, and when she sees the tennis court, she sees freedom and she's excited, you know. And man, shouldn't we be that way, Right. I mean, when we see the cross, when we think of grace, when we think of God is done, I mean, we shouldn't just sit there like we're dead, right? We, we should get excited. We should see freedom because that is what the cross means. When I see the cross, I see freedom. And uh, I love that song. It's called Grace to Grace uh, by Hillsong. Uh, I would like for us to start off this morning by uh, saying a very familiar prayer together. You can remain seated. It's going to pop up on the screen. I'll count the three. And then we'll start together. And I actually say three this time, too. <laughs> One, two, three. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, it's, uh, it's February the 25th, 2018. And, and some of you may want to write that date down. Uh, because when you walk out the room in a few moments, you're not going to be the same again. Now we're in this series that we're calling The End of Me, Where Real Life Begins. And, and since... January the 21st, we have been defining real life or the blessed life this way. A blessed life equals a God-given joy, fullness, and satisfaction regardless of outward conditions. Repeat after me. Joy. joy. Fullness. fullness. Satisfaction. satisfaction. Uh, question. Is that how you would describe your life? Is that what you're experiencing in your life right now? I mean, if you were asked to summarize your life in just three words, are those the three words that you would choose? And do you think that those three words, joy, fullness, and satisfaction, are how most people in our culture, most people that you know, most people in this room, do you think that's the three words they would use to describe their life? Now, I think we all would agree that most people would like, I mean, they would be totally okay with joy, fullness, and satisfaction describing their lives. But, but listen, here's the deal, that there's something, or should I say someone, that is a huge barrier to people, to you and to me, experiencing a real full and blessed life. And Jesus talked about that in Luke chapter 17. He says this, if you cling to your life, Live for me, 
you will lose it. Now, now, now do you think Jesus is telling the truth? That, that, that living a self-centered, self-focused, all-about-you life is the fastest and surest way to a joyless, empty, and unsatisfying life. Again, do you think he's telling the truth? That if you cling to your life, if you live for you, you will lose it. I think he's telling the truth. <laughs> yet, yet many people still choose to live this way, to live for themselves. And then Jesus says this, second half of that same verse. And, and if you let go, if you let your life go, the end of me, you will what? You, you will save it. And, and again, you, you think he's telling the truth. You know, that, that, that if we make this shift in our minds where life no longer revolves around us, like if we die to ourselves, we will find real life. Do you think he's telling the truth? I do. Well, how, how do we get there? Well, the good news is that Jesus tells us how to get to the end of me in his inaugural sermon, the Sermon on, on the Mount, where he invites us to, to live a counterintuitive life, where he, he invites us to live a life that on the surface does not make sense, that seems upside down, and yet it's the very life that works. Because it's the yoke, it's the teaching, it's the way of Jesus, our great rabbi, who, who wants to guide and direct us to the life he created us to live, the real life. And so what we've been doing in the series is looking at this upside-down teaching of Jesus, at this way of living that helps us get to the end of me. Ways that on the surface don't seem to make sense. It's the opposite of what you would expect. Ways like, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, where we learn that we're blessed and we find real life when we get to that point where we recognize our, our brokenness or our broken mess and we acknowledge that we're bankrupt before God and we say, God, I can't. God, I, I need your help. God, I, I can't fix it. I can't repair it. I can't restore it. I can't put the pieces back together on my own. But ways like how mourning and sorrow and sadness is a pathway to happiness. You see, it's in the tears that you and I shed over our loss, over our sins, and over this lost world where we experience the presence and comfort of God in ways like we can never experience any other way. Like Job says in Job 42.5, in the midst of his suffering, my ears have heard about you, but now in my pain and suffering you showed up and now my eyes have seen you. Ways like how being gentle keeping our strength under control, as counterintuitive as it seems, is how we actually win in this world. It's how we inherit the earth and, and ways how, like, if we take the me out of team, if we get in the game, if we do our part, if we approach life and church not to be served but to serve, we find a blessing. And ways, like we saw last night, of, last week, of unpretending to see. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's what we talked about, you know, no more pretending. And no more having a public self and a private self, right? And no more being like, whoa, how you doing? No, no more being like, when the spotlight's on, I'm going to act this way. And boom, when the spotlight's off, I'm going to be totally different. We live by one script when the lights are on and a different script at home. We can't do that anymore. No more pretending. We want to be pure in heart, an undivided heart. We want to be who we are. 
Yes, brothers and sisters, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will get to the end of me and experience joy, fullness, and satisfaction. This morning we're going to look at Jesus lighting up another path to the end of me, to real life. And it's blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And I need to let you know up front, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. We've had a lot of tough ones lately. It gets tough to be real. But if you want to live a blessed life, you have to learn to be merciful. If you receive mercy, you have to be able to give it. There's a question that will pop up on the screen. It's in your notes. And in your notes, you can circle it. In your mind, you can circle it if you're not taking notes. But because it is a tough one and because you have an opportunity today to leave here totally different, to leave some baggage and some ugliness and some chains and some bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and stuff, you have a chance to leave that behind. And so the thing is, you're going to say whether you agree or disagree that you're going to do this. I'm open to what God wants to teach me today. I will not allow any wall or attitude to keep me from hearing from God. And you circle, nah, you know what, I don't hear from God. And you just disagree, right? No, I don't want to hear from him. Or you can say, you know what, I'm willing to hear from God. And, and, and sometimes hearing from God can be unpleasant at first, right, as he tweaks us and gets us back on the right path. Uh, Father, we humbly come before you. And God, you know us. And God, we can put on masks, we can pretend, we can hide, we can cover up. But God, you see our hearts. And God, I, I pray today that you will help us, help me, God. Man, I, I, I need I need these words today, Lord. I need them so bad. And God, I pray that you find a way to use this messed up person to share the truth of your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Uh, uh, Up to seven times? In other words, Jesus, somebody hurt me. They've done me wrong. And not just once. Yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to forgive him, but it, it feels unfair. Uh, why should I always have to be the one to forgive? Lord, how often do I have to forgive him? Seven times? And, and then I can let him have it? And now, I understand, Peter was probably expecting Jesus to give him a, a gold star, right? You see, the rabbis in that day taught that you had to forgive somebody three times, and after the third time, boom, Right? You can unload on that. And so Peter's saying, you know what I do? I'm going to double that and add one for good measure. Seven. Seven's a good Bible number, you know. And, and, uh, and to be honest, that's pretty commendable, right? To forgive somebody seven times. I mean, you and I have a hard time forgiving somebody one time. So by human standards, what Peter said is pretty impressive. Peter thought he was going the second mile. He thought he was turning the other cheek. But the truth is, Peter was looking for some kind of legal limit, a number, where he could finally say, okay, that's it, no more Mr. Nice Guy. And that's why Jesus' response took him off guard. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The original Greek, it says 70 times, seven times. You have that loud sound you hear? That's Peter dropping over unconscious. I mean, he couldn't believe his ears. 70 times, 7, 490 times? 
Jesus is saying to Peter, you got it all wrong. You don't count the number of times you forgive somebody. Because the way of the kingdom is unlimited forgiveness. See, it's not about saying, you know, 299, 300, only 190 to go. No. 70 times 7 means there's no limit to the number of times I should forgive someone else. I know that sounds crazy, unrealistic, not natural, upside down, counterintuitive. I mean, talk about getting to the end of me. Remember, but remember, we who live in his kingdom, we who follow Jesus are to live by a totally different set of values than this world. We live in a new and better country. One where we are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a radically different life. Amen? Amen. And listen, there's no doubt that the way of forgiveness is counterintuitive and upside down from the way this world thinks. Our world says, you hurt me, I hurt you. You do me wrong, I do you wrong. It's game on, sucker, right? That's how we live. Now, since the reality of unlimited forgiveness was hard for Peter to understand, it's hard for us to understand, Jesus tells a story, right? To show what it looks like for a Jesus follower to live an unforgiving life. And it's not a very pretty picture. Act one. We're going to start at Matthew 18, 23 to 25. Uh, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. It's like, so this is a, a story of a king who wanted to settle accounts. And one guy owed him a very large debt. Anybody out there know what debt is? Right? It is so, it's fun, right? I mean, we love it. Right? No, it's not fun. And, and let's talk about the size of this debt for a minute. You see, before the word talent meant ability or a skill, it was, it was used in a Greek currency. It was the, the largest unit of accounting in Greek currency. Uh, a talent was 10,000 denarius. And their denarius was equal to one day's wage. Multiply your daily wage by 10,000, you discover the value of a talent. Check this out. All the taxes collected in Judea and Samaria all year long, given back to Rome, was only 600 talents. Okay, so let's assume you make $52,000 a year, the medium income in Charlottesville in 2016. And you annually work 260 days. You make $200 a day. A talent in your case is valued at 10,000 times $200 or $2 million. Therefore, 10,000 talents equals what? $20 billion. Now, what is Jesus trying to say by choosing such a large number? That this guy owed a debt that he could never repay. Now, at this point in the story, three things would strike Jesus' listeners. First thing is, how did this guy get so much money? I mean, kings in those days were not in the habit of giving out $20 billion loans to their servants. Only one answer. This king is a king of extreme generosity. Now, the second thing that would strike those listening to him tell the story is, 
What kind of servant would take so much money from the king, blow the entire thing, and make no provision for the day of reckoning? Uh, there, there was a movie that came out many years ago called Dumber and Dumber, right? Uh, this guy was the inspiration for it, right? And, and the third thing is that this king of extreme generosity is also a king of the settled accounts. He's committed to justice. No, this is not the story about getting off the hook because of a timid, gray-haired, grandfatherly, boys will be boys, who say at the end of the day, it's okay, no big deal, we'll just let that go. Instead, the king says to the servant who could not pay his debt, sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything he has until he's able to pay this unpayable debt. Which means this man and his children and his children's children from one generation to the next will be in prison because they can never pay the debt. Now the king's actions would not surprise anybody, listen, because they know the rule of this world. They know the old way. You owe, you pay. You owe, you pay. And then the story starts to get interesting. You see, something begins to happen in the mind of this servant. I mean, he's desperate, right? Nothing to lose. He goes for broke, and he throws up a Hail Mary pass. In verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Now, now notice the exact request. Be patient with me, and I'll pay back everything. And I'll pay back $20 billion. If this guy worked 365 days a year, it would still take him 273,972 years to pay it off. Now call me a pessimist. I don't think he's going to be able to pull this off. I mean, the guy's promise is ridiculous, right? It's like saying, I'm going to empty the Atlantic Ocean with a teaspoon. It's not going to happen. It's at best an insult to the king's intelligence. I mean, the king knew the minute he said, he he can't do it. And again, all of Jesus' listeners knew what to expect. They knew the rule. They know the economy of the world. You owe, you pay. Look three people in the eye and tell them, you owe, you pay. And that was too fun, too much fun for some of you. Remember, he's a just king. He's settling accounts. And so they're waiting for the ax to fall. But it never does. Jesus says in verse 27, and the king is moved with compassion. He looks at this frightening, selfish, desperate man, and he's moved with mercy. And he does two things. In the original language, he does them in this order. First, he releases a man. No prison. He saves his family, frees his children, gives them back his home. The guy's released. And then he goes beyond that, and he forgives this unpayable debt. Now, understand, the debt does not disappear. I mean, somebody has to pay it, right? Somebody has to cover the loss, take the hit. But who pays? The king decides to pay. And listen, Uh, lean in, brothers and sisters, because you want to hear this. You see, the king is offering a a whole new system of debt management. It's the new way of Jesus. It's the economy of grace. 
You owe, and I'll pay. You owe, and I'll pay. And, and, I, and I know that's crazy. But the king says, I, I'll pay your unpayable debt. I'll take the hit. I'll suffer the loss. It's on me. You go free. You owe, and I'll pay. And, and imagine what happened when this guy got home. He sees his wife. They're, they're, they're not going to lose their home. He's not going to lose his family. His family won't have to be in prison. Uh, they're free. They got their lives back. And they don't even have to pay back the debt. All because of this new way, the economy of mercy and grace. I, I mean, imagine if this week you got a call from your mortgage company or all your other creditors, and they told you, hey, you know that money that you owe us? Forget about it. Hey, forget about it, right? It's on us. It's canceled. It's, you're debt-free. Enjoy your week. Would that feel good? Right? Would you be, anybody be excited about that? Anybody jump up and holler and scream and have a really good week? Absolutely. Why, why doesn't God's forgiveness make us feel the same way? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it should. You see, this story is really a story about the human race. It's my story and it's your story. Jesus says there's this king, there's this God, extremely generous, full of grace and mercy, but who's also painstakingly just, and every one of us have accumulated a mountain of unpayable debt. And we, and we add to that debt all the time by our sins of commission and omission, by the things we do that we shouldn't do and the things we should do that we don't do. I understand, anytime we are less than honest, anytime we fudge an expense account or tax return or cheat on a test, anytime we twist the truth to, to make ourselves look better, any, every time we're unloving with our kids, anytime we're unkind to our spouse, disrespectful to our parents, every time we speak a reckless word that hurts somebody, every time we know the right thing to do but we don't do it, every time we know the the right thing to give, but we don't give it. Every time God gives us a gift, but we're not grateful. Every time we gossip and say negative things about another person. Every selfish act, every racist joke, every sexually impure thought or deed, every judgmental attitude, every malicious action, etc., 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 is adding to this mountain of debt that we can't pay. And we're all in the same boat. I mean, I, I'm a pastor. I devoted my life to spiritual growth. And it took me about 30 seconds to come up with that list. You know why? Because Steve Bailey's committed every one of those things. No. <laughs> no. No. Let's be real careful. That, that list is me. I, I mean, imagine if every month you got a list of all your sins since your last sin statement, right? Like, like, like how long would it be? But the good news, the awesome news the amazing blow-your-mind news is that the story doesn't end with our debt, but with the mercy and grace of God. You see, one day the king came to me and said, hey, Steve, after, I'm here to tell you that you owe a lot. I mean, that mountain of debt you have, it's pretty high, and I, I know you're trying to pay it off yourself, but instead of your debt going down, it's only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's frustrating, isn't it, Steve? Hey, don't worry about it. I got this new deal. It goes like this. Steve, you owe, and I'll pay. Steve, it's the way of the kingdom. It's the economy of mercy and grace. 
I mean, do you remember the day when the, when the king said to you, hey, hey, would you like to live in the kingdom? Would you like to live under my mercy and grace? Would you like to live in my freedom? I remember the day for me, it was December the 30th, 1979, a Sunday night in Orlando, Florida. I, I surrendered my life to Jesus and said, yes, are you kidding me? It was amazing grace. As I repented of living a life for me, something I continuously do. As I confessed him as my Lord and Savior, and as I was baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what an absolute, stinking, lutely, incredible deal. I mean, the economy of grace is amazing, but it's not cheap. In fact, it cost God dearly. It cost him the life of his son. It cost him the best that he had. And he paid it without hesitation because of his unfailing love and his unbounded mercy. Maple Grove, we owe everything, everything to his mercy and grace. Get it? Good. Well, that's the end of the first act. And the second act, we're told in verse 28 that when the servant, this guy's been forgiven this huge debt, he went out and he found, he actually went looking for somebody who owed him some money, and somebody owed him 100 denarii, right? 100 days wages, 200 times 100 days, $20,000 he owed him. A significant amount, but not $20 billion. I mean, it would take him 100 days to pay that off. Not 100 million days would it take to pay off $20 billion at $200 a day, 365 days a year. See, this time, he's the one who's owed money. And the servant that owed the money says exactly the same thing he had just said to the king. He fell on his feet, begged him, be patient with me, and I'll pay you back. And what do you think those listening to the parable expected to see happen? I mean, I think they're waiting for the hallmark music to start, right? I mean, surely, surely this guy, right? I mean, he just got forgiven this debt. I mean, I mean they're saying, he's just looking for the first opportunity that I can forgive somebody. God, give me somebody to forgive. But that's not what happened. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. The fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. And he really could pay him back, right? A little bit of time, but it's possible. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Are you kidding me? What an ungrateful idiot. He doesn't forgive the debt. He doesn't give the guy a chance. He just throws him into prison and so doing violates in every respect, spirit, tone, word and deed that the king showed him. He was saved by grace but refused to give it. Now it's time for act three and it, it, um, it's painful and sobering. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed. Like, like, are you kidding me? I can't believe you're doing this. You just got forgiven that debt. And you're not willing to, you're willing to take mercy. You're not willing to give it. You're willing to sing about mercy and grace and lift your hands in church, but you're not willing to forgive people. Are you kidding me? I'm not believing this. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? 
Yeah, the servants brought in once again. This time, there's no deals. There's no plea bargains. He's like, you didn't get it. It didn't penetrate. You barely misunderstood this, my friend. You thought my mercy meant that, that I was some fuzzy-minded incompetent that will let you get away with whatever you wanted to get away with. Treat people any way you wanted to treat them. You took my mercy and my grace, and yet you remain the same old hurtful, self-centered, unforgiving person you were before. You were so unforgiveness, but you, you wouldn't give it. You were granted mercy, but you won't bestow it. You were showered with love, but you won't extend it. You were offered the economy of grace, but you have chosen to live in the economy of bitterness and unforgiveness. And if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. Take him away. Throw him into prison. And anger's master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then comes one of the one of those frightening verses in the Bible. Listen to this, church. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive one another from the heart. Ain't no seven trumpets, seven seals there, y'all, right? That's pretty easy to see, pretty easy to understand. Jesus said, hey, what happened to this guy is what will happen to you and to you and to you and to you if you do not forgive from the heart. The jailers will come and they will take you to prison. The prison of anger and bitterness that will eat you from the inside out. The prison of frustration and malice that gives you ulcers and high blood pressure and low back pain and, and migraine headaches. The prison of resentment that keeps you awake at night as you stew, ever, stew over every hurtful thing that anyone's ever done to you. The prison of an unforgiven heart that stalks you day and night and never leaves your side and sucks every bit of joy, fullness, and satisfaction out of you. Check out these words that this guy here wrote, Mr. Frederick. Of all the deadly sins, resentment appears to be the most fun. To lick your wounds and savor the pain that you will get back is in many ways a feast fit for a king. It turns out that what you're eating is the banquet, at the banquet of your bitterness is your own heart. The skeleton of the feast is you. You start holding a grudge, but in the end, the grudge holds you. Brothers and sisters, don't show mercy and your anger will become your burden. Don't show mercy and bit by bit all the joy will be choked out of you. Don't show mercy and you'll be unable to trust anyone ever again. Don't show mercy and bitterness will crowd out every ounce and gram of compassion and mercy in your life. What a powerful story in response to Peter's question to ours, right? right? We ask that, do I have to forgive? Really? Seems unfair. They hurt me and it still hurts. Well, why should I have to let them off the hook? See, this story is meant to impress upon Jesus' followers several truths. Number one, the greatness of God's forgiveness. Number two, the enormity of our own sins. Number three, the relative lightness of the sins of others against us compared to that. The simplicity of forgiveness, the danger of unforgiveness, and the ways you, we should feel and react when we see a fellow Jesus follower be unforgiving. 
And this should be a mirror to show us if we're merciful. Bottom line, brothers and sisters, each of us stand before Almighty God with our sins piled up like a mountain. The mountain is so, it's so tall, we can't get over it. It's so deep, we can't get under it. It's so wide, we, we can't get around it. And every one of us in this room, we're in the same boat. It's a debt we can't pay in our lifetime or in 2,773 years, not ever. And we come before God as these debtors with their hands empty. We say, God, I can't pay. It's too much. It's too big. And God, who's rich in mercy, says, okay, Steve, I'll pay it. I'll forgive all your sins. My son will pay your debt with his blood. Steve, you owe me nothing. You owe, I'll pay. And then we rise from our seats, humming amazing grace. And before we get to the car, we see someone who's hurt us, done us wrong, and we want to grab them by the throat and say, you hurt me, you owe me, pay me now. If you are a Jesus follower, I'm talking to all of us, this guy here too, you've been forgiving a huge debt, and it is so wrong, so wicked, so life-destroying not to forgive. Get it? Good. Hebrew writer says, see to that no one misses the grace of God. Raise your hand if you want to miss the grace of God. Any takers here? <laughs> and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I don't think there's anything that cuts you off from life in the kingdom faster than bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness. I mean, could Jesus get any clearer? This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive one another from the heart. Or when he said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Or when Jesus inspired the Holy Spirit to get Paul to write these words in Colossians. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Listen, it is impossible to feel the fullness, hear me, of God's mercy and grace and forgiveness if you do not and I do not extend the same. Listen, every one of us in this room, we have our own share of debtors, people who have hurt us. Maybe it's a parent, a step-parent. Maybe it's a brother or sister, a husband or wife. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's someone you trusted, someone you loved, a friend, someone you open up your life to, and they betrayed you. They hurt you. They lied about you. They slandered you. They walked out on you. And maybe it's somebody even in this room. And, and, and here's the $20 billion question. What are you and I going to do with that hurt? Will we choose to live in the economy of this world? You know, you owe, you pay, and live in bitterness and resentment. Or will we choose the economy of grace? You owe, I'll pay. Now, I think it's important to say a word or two about forgiveness. This is going to come quick. First, what forgiveness isn't. It isn't a sign of weakness. Even taking the first step, right? God did. Don't be like, well, if they say it first, then I'll say it too. Husbands and wives, let's get over ourselves. It, it isn't conditional. It's not earned or deserved. That's why it's mercy and grace. It's not excusing or tolerating wrong behavior. It's not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Oh, it's no big deal. Yeah, that was a big deal. It hurt me. 
It's not allowing a wrong behavior to go on or be unconfronted. And it's not resuming relationship without change, without genuine repentance, restitution, and rebuilding of trust. Now, there's basically three stages of forgiveness. This is important. Phase one is we refuse to get even or to hurt them back. We, we, we give up our right to pay them back. We, we give up our fantasies of vengeance. You know what I'm talking about? You're wanting them to lose their job and for their dog to run away or gain 100 pounds overnight, right? Or get audited by the IRS, right? <laughs> I mean, we stop wanting bad things to happen to them, right? We stop thinking bad things about them. That's stage one. Stage two is when we see the person that is beyond the hurt. You see, what happens when we're hurt by someone, a lot of times when we look at that person, all we see is the hurt. All we see is the pain. But in the second stage, we don't ignore the hurt and the pain, but we look beyond it and we see the person. And we realize, guess what? I bet they've been hurt too. (laughs) I bet life's been hard on them. We see the person beyond the hurt. And the third stage is we genuinely want to see good things happen to them. And that can be hard to get to. I got some road to travel on that one. But it's the only way, right? From the heart. And God will help us. And remember, the stakes are high. I'm going to share a few quotes, I think, real quickly about forgiveness. I think are good. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Nice. Gandhi, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. Like it. Holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. Yeah, come on. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. (laughs) I like this one here. Today I decided to forgive you. Not because you apologized or acknowledged the pain that you caused me, but because my soul deserves peace. A stinking man. And the final ongoing act, we're about done, but please stay with me. And this is where we embrace and live out the new economy of mercy and grace. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. The Grossmeyers were on a peacemaking mission visiting some Polish Christians some years after World War II. They're emissaries there of another group from West Germany who, who, who wanted the Polish Christians, to meet with them so they could ask for forgiveness for what the Germans had done during World War II. And when they asked if they would meet with them, there was, as if the Polish Christians meet with them, it became really quiet. <laughs> there was a long silence. Then one of the Polish Christians said, what you ask is impossible. Every stone of Warsaw is soaked with Polish blood that they spilled we cannot forgive. The Grossmeyers, they understood the emotions and they ended the conversation, but before they left, they decided they would pray the Lord's Prayer together. And they prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And they stopped. There was just dead silence. Then the one who had said, we can't forgive, said, I must forgive. If I do not forgive, I can no longer pray this prayer. 
If I do not forgive, I can no longer call myself a Christian. I can't do it, but God can help me and give me the strength. And 18 months later, Polish Christians and West German Christians met in Vienna and established a friendship that lasts to this day. You know, I wonder how many marriages, how many families, how many churches might have been healed if when the Lord's Prayer was prayed, we just stopped at that line and let the Holy Spirit do its work. If only we who had received mercy were willing to give mercy. Now, now just a few minutes, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer is going to come up on the screen, and, and you guys are going to remain seated. And, and we're going to stop where the Grossmeyer stopped. And, and we do it. I want you to do three things. Number one, I want you to remember the mountain of debt that God forgave you. And then number two, I, I want you to ask God to bring to your heart and your mind any debtor with whom you have unfinished business. Anyone whom you have not forgiven from the heart. Ask God, God is there anybody? And number three, you know, and we, we've been doing a lot of cards things, you know, and my life group, my, one of my life group members said, you know, we did that, Lord, help me with acknowledging our brokenness. Hundred plus people did that. She says, writing it down, seeing them make it real. You know, I, I have some things I got to pray about. I have some names I need to write down. <laughs> I, I do. I, I almost don't want to. Can I be, can I be real with you? I almost don't want to, um, but I got to. And, and if you got a name, you write it down and during our response time, right, we're going to sing a song and during our response time, you know, we do communion. You can go to these baskets at the stations where your fellow believers have been saying, God, I repent of this sin. God, help me, help me with this brokenness in my life. You can pull one of those cards out. But you can also write that name of the person you need to forgive on here and, and come to the cross and you drop it in here. It's in a black plastic bag. And I will take this black plastic bag after church and put it in a dumpster. I'm not going to look at the names. I'm not going to do handwriting analysis, right? This is just for you and God. You know, don't peek at people's shoulders, you know. But I would, if the, the person's right next to you, you may want to move somewhere before you write their name down, right? But, but, but you know, we're going to put it in here, and then we're just, I'm going to throw it away. I'm not going to look at it. You know, I'm not going to look at it. And, and, and so, let's say that part of the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, art in the heavens, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread, forgive us our sins, just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And I urge you right now to let the Holy Spirit work. Maybe you have some really deep hurt maybe there's a pain in your heart because of a mom or a dad, a brother or sister, someone who was once a close friend, and there's something inside of you that wants to say so badly, you owe, you pay, you gotta make it right, but you need to forgive. Remember, you had this big mountain of debt between you and God, and he forgave it, so how can you withhold it? And remember that when you forgive, the prisoner being set free is, is gonna be you, and maybe you're thinking, I can't forgive right now. You can ask God to help you, right? God, God, you know what? I know I'm supposed to. I'm not wanting to. Holy Spirit, will you help me to forgive? Will you help me to forgive? You know, one of the greatest 
acts of forgiveness, a word spoken of forgiveness, I think, in all of human history was when the Son of God was lifted up on a cross and he pounded nails into his wrist and his feet and he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And really, neither do people who hurt us, right? They don't know what it's doing to them. They don't really know what it's doing to you and to those around them. And so we're going to sing this song. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song, and then have our time of response, where you take a name, drop it in there, no peeking at people's guards, right? You and God. This could, you, could, you could leave here with a lighter burden. And I can't emphasize, I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Boy, am I talking to myself. You know, not carry this junk anymore, right? Not carry it anymore. Just let it go. Just let it go. And, and, uh, and then we take our communion for visiting with us. We have uh, two cups and the crackers in the bottom. And, and uh, we collect our offering, the compassion buckets. Like I said, each station, you have cards where people really are broken. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my anger. Help me with my lust, my greed, my addictions, you know. I mean, there's some serious hurt in this body that, that you could pray for. So would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing, and then respond. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence. And God, I pray that right now you would just help me to get off the stage, to get out of the spotlight, and to get real with you. And God, if there's things in my heart that aren't right, there are things in my heart, Lord, where I have not forgiven someone from the heart, Lord, I, give me the strength to write that name down and to let it go. Give my brothers and sisters that same strength. And may your grace and mercy that we received and that we give set us free today. In Jesus' name, amen.